I'm Sheena. And I'm Lori. And this is Sympateri Row. Who I forgot to, to say your name? name. <laughs> I had to make the big eyeballs at you. Like, you did. Like, <laughs> like, I, go, I go last, Sheena. I forgot that. <laughs> like when you're in trouble in the grocery store and your mama doesn't want to yell at you, so her eyes yes. get like that, and you're like, oh shit. It's been Where a long day. Okay. <laughs> Where she snatches your arm and snatches you Oh, back. yeah, right up here. And she gets real close to that ear, yep. and you're like, I'm about to die. Gosh. I do that all the time to Sawyer when we're out in public. Oh. There, there is a picture of Kate Middleton when she just had Charlotte and George. And William has a death grip on George's hand. <laughs> like you could see the white knuckles and she is right there by his face. And she's Uh-oh. got that vein popping out in her neck. And I'm like, ooh. I will kill you later. And, and she's holding the baby. And I'm like, she's like, if I have to put your sister down, I'm going to beat your ass. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, yes. She probably turned into a Southern mama for those three minutes. I'm like, yeah. the future king is about to get his little ass beat. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, welcome to Cemetery Row. <laughs> welcome. Yes. Um, we have a news update that you probably already know, but we like to keep in touch with these things. And that is Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr. has gone to the great hereafter. Um bye felicia uh-huh. um yeah i still have a no lot one's of gonna questions. miss him yeah no. he has no family you're all welcome <laughs> we started with child abuse and now we're here laughing oh lord uh, but, thank um, you for staying with us yeah ladies and gentlemen. i still have questions about that whole thing yeah I still have a lot of questions. Yeah, he did it, but I I mean, he did. I do have some questions. Yeah, there are questions. So, but he's gone on to the great beyond. Um, Bye. Go have fun with whatever demon you end up with. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so this week, um, on a happier note, (laughs) we're talking about blues artists because blues artists are awesome, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know that all of our artists, I think of ours have um are southerners right yeah oh yeah ties to the south um mm-hmm. so of course we always yeah um mine's from tennessee Lori, texas. Where's from? Texas. texas that's right yes. that's All awesome right. so we hope you if you're not familiar with these artists we hope that you'll look them up and listen to their tunes because they're pretty rad um so we are going to kick off with Blind lemon, Woo-hoo. not blind melon, ladies yes. and gentlemen. Not blind melon. Sheena, do you want to fill them in on what we just learned? <laughs> yeah. So we were having a pre-podcast um, conversation where we were talking about the bland, the the bland, the band blind Ooh, melon slip. um for sure the uh the band blind melon and Lori was saying in doing her research for blind lemon she kept wanting to say blind melon because of course we all grew up with the b-girl 
you know, and yeah. no rain. And I was like, I think because we know people who were friends with the band, I'm like, aren't they from Mississippi? And so I go to Google and figure out like what band members are from Mississippi. And it turns out that their band name came from a nickname that one of the band members, um, observed among Mississippi hippies. It's sort of a mix of Blind Lemon Jefferson and the Cheech and Chong character Blind Melon Chitlin. So that's where the name Blind Melon comes from, but we're not talking about Blind Melon. We're talking about Blind Lemon. Yes, yes, but uh, (laughs) I'm going to apologize if I say Melon, so uh, I'm going to try not to. So um, while his career was much shorter than other blues musicians of the era, Blind Lemon Jefferson would become one of the most well-known and respected blues musicians of the 1920s. And without his music, Elvis Presley might not have ever become the juggernaut that he became. But we're going to get to that later. Yeah, so Blind Lemon Jefferson's career and life was tragically short, but his musical talents are legendary. He is known as the father of Texas blues and the king of country blues. Um, His distinctive high-pitched voice was one that his fellow bluesmen could never match. Um, And then his biggest hit was Matchbox Blues, and it was recognized by Rolling Stone magazine as one of the 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. And then uh, Lemon was also an inaugural member of the Blues Hall of Fame in 1980. So now to the man, his birth, how he came into the world. So there are disputes as to the exact year of his birth, but records indicate that he was born on September 24th, either in 1893 or 1894, and that he was born blind. There's not a lot known about his personal life, uh, but what I do know is that he was the son of Texas sharecroppers, Alex and Clarissa Jefferson, and he had seven siblings. Um, There's really no record of if he was ever married or had children or anything like that. Um, But, you know, he had seven brothers and sisters and was the youngest of all of them. He began playing the guitar as a teenager and he would play local parties and picnics before he started to make his way around East Texas, often playing in front of barbershops and on street corners. While he was playing in Dallas in 1910, he met and befriended fellow bluesman Huddy Leadbelly Leadbetter. And so the two of them began traveling around the country performing up until 1918 when Leadbelly was arrested and sentenced to 30 years in jail for the murder of his relative Will Stafford in a fight over a woman. Jeez. Uh, yes. That is some blues man origin story shit. Yes. Right <laughs> so Leadbelly only served seven of those 30 years because he was oh. pardoned by Governor Pat Morris Neff. Uh, he wrote him a song asking to be let out. And since he was popular uh, among his other inmates and the guards and uh, the, uh, the governor liked him, they let him out after seven years. And he went on to become a very popular blues musician in the thirties um, and forties. So wow, go lead belly. Yeah. Uh, so Lemon recorded his first tracks in Chicago in 1925, and they were gospel songs. Um, oh. I, I want to be like Jesus in my heart, and all I want is that pure religion. Uh, and he released them under a pseudonym, Deacon L.J. Bates. Um, 
Well, that's, that's how he got a his pseudonym. Yes, yes. So while he started with the, the religion and the faith-based music, the majority of his career was spent uh, recording what's known as country blues. Um, like as somebody I said, else we know. Yes, he is the king, uh, the father, what, whatever you want to call him. He kind of launched that type of blues music. Um, the majority of his career was spent recording with Paramount, which was the it label for blues music in the 20s. Um, and the royalties he received from Paramount allowed him to purchase a car and even hire chauffeurs Although this seems to be disputed amongst uh, the different articles and stories I read, um, he was given a car that was valued at at least $700. Uh, so either way, he had to have hired drivers since he was, you know, fucking blind. He couldn't drive <laughs> himself around town. So, you know, I don't know why that was always, there was always a citation in the article that, you know, there is some argument as to whether or not he hired drivers, like, he had to. He had to hire drivers. Now, was he born blind? Did yes. he become blind? Yeah, okay, he was, so he he was, was born, born blind. Um, so Paramount, they were notorious for shitting sounding recordings. I mean, they, they were it for recording blues, but the sound quality was always very bad. Um, so that added with uh, Lemon's Disgust at the royalties he was receiving from the label led him to jump ship to... I'm not sure how this is pronounced. We know from past recordings that I'm terrible with words. Um, <laughs> it looks like it should be pronounced OK Records. It's O-K-E-H. So to me, that's OK. But if you know different, we'll please, please let us know. So he jumped <laughs> ship to OK Records in 1927. And that's when he recorded Matchbox Blues. Um, it was on this recording that Lemon would also record the song that would indirectly lead to fame for Elvis Presley in 1954, Black Snake Moan, which is also a movie starring Samuel L. Jackson, Christina Ricci, and Justin Timberlake that was shot in Memphis at years ago. I remember, actually it was after Katrina because uh, Samuel L. Jackson came to Ole Miss, but Anyway, so that movie was named after this song, which is how I connected to it. But now it's I'm an gonna... incredibly horny movie. It is so <laughs> horny. And they actually. Well, I mean, the title. Yeah. They, yes. They, they filmed some scenes down the road from uh, my parents' house. So uh, oh. that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, so here's the story. So Elvis's first big hit was That's All Right, or one of his first big hits. Let me, you know be vague here which was a cover of a blues song recorded by arthur big boy crudup a mississippi-born blues musician who found success singing on chicago streets in the 1940s arthur was invited to record an album by the a r representative for rca bluebird label but he was asked to bring four original songs to the recording so arthur had never written a song he had no idea how to what to do to get these songs together so he turned to uh, a fellow musician named tampa red and this guy told him quote it's easy just take the third or fourth verse of some old record or song and make that your title verse then add other verses from other songs or anything that you can make up that fits the tune end quote so basically <laughs> steal, steal that shit steal that shit <laughs> 
so with that, Arthur lifted the fourth verse of Black Snake Moan and recorded That's All Right in 1946. So there you go, Elvis. That's how. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, we all have was... complicated feelings about Elvis that <laughs> yes. we will get to someday. Maybe. <laughs> um, well, I was going to say, you mentioning the um, borrowing of songs and stuff. Um a friend of mine who I, I called up for a little bit of help on this episode, um, shout out to Kathleen. Uh, she's a friend of mine. She was working on getting her PhD at Harvard in, I'm going to be extremely vague and say African-American studies, but really it was on um, the traveling blues artists of the first half of the 20th century and um, the traveling shows and things like that. And she told me how that's how blues artists really build up their repertoire was traveling around and listening to other people do other songs and sort of mm -hmm. learning them. And then sort of, that's how for so many of these old songs, we may not know who wrote them because you may have heard them here, right. there and yonder. And it, it, it was fascinating. She explained yeah. it so much better than I'm explaining it. They were like community songs that everyone kind of yeah. knew and everyone kind yeah. of picked up. Yeah, but yeah, I love that story, that origin story of That's All Right Mama. Um, I've actually never heard that story, so that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was very neat. And, um, you know, in the, the stuff I was reading about Arthur, that that's kind of his story was he would play songs that he had knew he knew that he had heard. And when people would request a song that he hadn't heard, played before, he would just kind of make okay. it up as he went along until he learned it. Yeah, um, that's cool. So a few months after uh, Black Snake Moan and Matchbox Blues were released, uh, Lemon returned to Paramount, and then he re-recorded two versions of Matchbox Blues. Um, he would also record the haunting Sea That My Grave Is Kept Clean under his pseudonym in 1927. Then he re-recorded that one and released it again in 1928. And out of all of his songs, this one has been covered the most. Um, so Bob Dylan, B.B. King, The Dream Syndicate, and Fish all have covered See That My Grave Is Kept Clean. And there's an alternate version of the song called One Small Favor. And that one's been covered by The Grateful Dead, Peter, Paul, and Mary, and Pat Donahue. Um, Gina, that's your theme song. I know. I'm like, I need to go find this song now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I do is, is clean exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so matchbox blues was also covered by the Beatles. Um, I'm, that's about all I know. I'm not big on the Beatles. Please don't at me. I'm not a fan. Uh, so I, I'll, I'll say this. I'm that. actually, I'm a huge Beatles person and <laughs> I don't know that I know their cover of that. If you at Lori about the Beatles, you're going to have to at me too. Yeah. I'm not a fan. I just, I just, yeah. yeah you know, I, 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 I love them, but I, I respect I don't think them, I've ever heard that. But, uh, and I don't think from what I read, they didn't uh, credit, like he didn't get credited on that song. You know, Again, I could I be completely wrong, uh, but this is they, just from the multiple things I read that they covered it at some point. I will say this a lot of English artists in general love our American blues artists more than we do yes, love and appreciate absolutely. and they covered a bunch of um black artists early in their career um I think they gave them credit I mean like I mean I don't know because I don't know about that Who one knows? but like I've seen I've seen some like album covers where like if they covered Smokey Robinson like they credit Smokey Robinson but yeah David know. Bowie this... is big on that of like really appreciating especially black oh, yeah. music in the states I mean, I mean that was the Led big Zeppelin. thing of him 
Yeah, in the 80s, like him calling out MTV for not, you know, showcasing yeah. their black artists. Um, and again, you know, that could have been something I pulled off of Wikipedia. I tried to, to <laughs> double check Don't all at us. <laughs> Occasional, <laughs> it's a good starting place. You can check their sources. So um, you know, yeah. Anyway, uh, but another side <laughs> story, you were you were mentioning Sheena about how um English and British bands really have a deep respect for blues music when I was in college um because I didn't want to take Spanish again I took Italian and had the opportunity to go to Italy um during the winter break uh to do a two-week session to basically be my credit for my second year second semester of Italian and the family that I was staying with the son uh Vincenzo was obsessed <laughs> with Mississippi blues music nice. like he's asking me all these questions I'm like I have no idea what you're talking about and he had a blues band like that's the only way he knew how to speak English was from blues music. yeah, so yeah. it was it was insane how much yeah. this, this guy loved blues that's um, awesome but yeah um back to to Mr. Lemon his career was unfortunately cut very short by his sudden death in December of 1929. And y'all get ready. His cause of death was listed as quote, probably acute myocarditis end quote. So he probably died from a heart thing, but they don't know for sure. Um, and there were rumors circulating for years that he had been poisoned by a jealous lover but the sad and more most likely scenario is that he suffered a heart attack after becoming disoriented in a snowstorm. Mm. Um, so where he? where was he in a snowstorm? I, I believe this was in Chicago. Oh yeah, I could see it. I um, nearly got he? disoriented. He was in a few he was in his early thirties, or yeah, oh, he was man. in his thirties. Um, so so not old at all. Uh, you know. I will. What year was this? I'm sorry, Lori. 19, totally no, you're fine. It was uh, December 1929. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because in me cleaning all these graves, I always go and look up everyone's cause of death because it's mm -hmm. not my business, but I have to know it. And there was one lady who um, her cause of death literally, I've actually had several people that reads very similarly to this. It will say literally, probably stroke or probably heart attack found dead in living room found dead on front porch and it's like how many people were straight up murked and we'll never know because they were like man she's yeah. old she died they oh, die these people weren't even old oh yeah that's what i'm saying clean. it's like you know, you know and so it's housewives like, drop dead sometimes <laughs> yeah and i'm like okay her husband isn't buried anywhere near her so <laughs> husband did of course Probably not. Always. But anyway, it just it, it kills me when I see an official cause of death, like a death notice, and it says probably blah 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 found yes. dead at this look. I'm like, oh my god. Okay. Anyway, go ahead. Look, so if there's gonna be a probably <laughs> in my cause of death, it better be probably eaten by bears. <laughs> probably fought a wolf pack. It better not be no probably died of a stroke. Y'all better know that. Mine will be probably tried to touch a honey badger. <laughs> <laughs> They're so cute, yet so oh, dangerous. Yes, yes. Or uh, uh, platypuses, platypi. Oh, yeah. Oh, like, yeah. They'll cute. sting you. The males yep. have that venomous stinger. I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm. I'm going to get killed trying to touch this weird yeah. duck looking thing. Anyway, <laughs> so 
back to Mr. Lemon again, I'm sorry. Uh, Paramount paid to have his body sent back to Texas and he was buried in an unmarked grave in what was then known as the Wortham Black Cemetery located in Wortham, Texas. Um, and in 1967, the Texas Historical Survey Committee designated uh, it a historical, a Texas historical grave. So a historical marker was placed in the general vicinity of his plot as the exact location of his grave is unknown. A new marker was erected in 1997 with a line from his famous song inscribed, quote, Lord, it's one kind favor I'll ask of you. See that my grave is kept clean, end quote. Aww. Aww. He died way too young. Yes. Yeah, so the, the, Wortham, the Wortham Black Cemetery was renamed the Blind Lemon Memorial Cemetery, and Aww. his grave is indeed kept clean by a group of local volunteers. Good. Aww. Somebody to hear that. that. Yes, yes. <sighs> that was a good story, Lori. I like yeah. that. Well, thank like you, that. Sheena. You're the one who recommended him to me because I was I yeah. was having trouble figuring out who I wanted to talk about. And you're like, this guy. <laughs> yeah. This we're, guy. we're all big into music. Um, I was a DJ in college. Yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> yeah. Music was something we all bonded over. Um me and Sheena have gone to multiple concerts together. So this is a special one in our hearts. Yes. Yeah. All right. Anything else? Time to talk. That's it. Time to Time get to into Robert Johnson. Yeah. Speaking of things that are close to my heart. All <laughs> Demons. Right. Demons. And more than that. Ooh, Demons and got... Crossroads deals. Crossroads Absolutely. Deals. <laughs> It's more than just supernatural kids. <laughs> they did actually yeah. get a lot of stuff right about the Robert Johnson story and about Crossroads demons. Not everything. I'm not going to give them everything. No. Can but, I just say, though, I would love to make a deal with Crowley at the Crossroads so he would kiss me. <laughs> I mean, I would give him a downstairs kiss, too. But that's Oh, my God. <laughs> My mama loves him. Like that line where he says, they ate my Taylor. Like she quotes that all the time. <laughs> also, I have been drinking. So. All right. So Robert Johnson was born in Hazelhurst, Mississippi. Now, if you were sitting there going, where the hell is that? You were not alone because I lived in Mississippi for almost 20 years. I was like, where the hell is Hazelhurst? Um, <laughs> it's not far from Jackson. It is kind of on the lower side of the Delta not far from Macomb and you can it's not really all that far from Louisiana so it's it's kind of you know how Mississippi kind of looks like a fat man with a belt on it's it's in the lower beer belly <laughs> that's what we'll <laughs> but on the river right ish it's close not yeah. right on the river but it's 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 the still the delta nowhere I literally yeah. looked it up on the map you know what they have they have a Walmart super center Hey, God wow. bless him. God bless him. <laughs> God bless him. So that's where Robert Johnson was born sometime around May 8th, 1911. Being the child of black sharecroppers, his birth likely took place at home and likely wasn't officially annotated anywhere, much like his death. Uh, later, they would figure out that he died because he stopped showing up in records. <laughs> that's how much they cared. But he was born nonetheless. 
His early life was tumultuous by our standards. Uh, his father had left the family. His mother left him with relatives to work in Memphis, and she would marry a couple of times. Um, he would go through a few different names, and he would be adopted uh, by his mom's husband, who had the last name of Johnson. So that's how he got uh, Johnson as his last name. He himself would also marry and father a few kids, daughters, uh, before pursuing a life as an itinerant blues musician throughout the Mississippi Delta, frequently traveling between Memphis and Helena, or Helena. I don't know how Mississippi is pronounced. It's, it's that Helena. Way. Well, Helena. Helena in Arkansas. It might be Helena in Arkansas. Because there's Cause Helena he, West Helena. Like that's the name of the town is Helena West. Okay, Helena. then that's probably the Helena in yeah. Arkansas because the because um, he did live in Crittenden County in arkansas oh yeah for a little probably. bit so that makes yeah. sense um i grew up in arkansas so i that area and helena, uh, helena also has um it's the helena biscuit festival which is an old blues festival Uh-oh. i thought for a minute you were gonna say that helena had a walmart super center and i was gonna be like <laughs> i guarantee you they do i guarantee you i don't whatever you're doing right now pull over google <laughs> helena arkansas walmart super center walmart is from arkansas i guarantee you they have it yeah so Robert, he was active between the years of 1929 to 1938 so he basically got his start at 18 um being a traveling blues musician he produced blues records that are still revered today um his body would be discovered on the side of a road near plantation yes they still had those in the 1930s <clears throat> no autopsy was done and his cause of death was unknown he was 27 years old at the time but that's not the only reason we know robert johnson did he really sell his soul at the crossroads in clarksdale mississippi was he murdered and what's the deal with the 27 club so Robert sang about devils, crossroad bargains, and hellhounds frequently. His top five songs are all, you know, crossroads, devils, hellhounds. That was his genre. Um, this dash of occult gave his work kind of an edge over the other blues men of the day. Um, everyone kind of had their niche, sort of like everyone in rock and roll kind of has their niche now. So Robert Johnson was kind of like the Alice Cooper of... <laughs> the blues circuit you know right. he had that edge he had that vibe yeah. so That's it cool. titillated the really religious people who would listen to his music while also gave a wink and a nod to the people who were listening to his music that were into that sort of thing and we'll see that in the south among black especially in the delta especially you know the descendants of former slaves that sort of spiritualism is was prevalent and still in the modern self there are traces of it still um little things like my the co-workers at the nonprofit that i worked at that was predominantly black women would always tell me don't put your purse on the floor or your money will fly out yeah you'll lose all your money so these little strains of you know what we would call like old maids wisdom or you know old housewives wisdom were had occult beginnings for the most part yeah, I was going to say hoodoo is is big in Memphis. Yeah, it was back then. It's still kind of as low key. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, any city where you're going to I mean, that's with New Orleans and voodoo, you mm-hmm. know, any city where you're going to have a big black population, especially one that dates back to pre-Civil War, Civil War era, there's going to be that strain of spiritualism um, yeah. that mostly came from West Africa. So we're going to talk about it. So, 
let's talk about Crossroads and Black Southern folklore. They're an example of similar narratives in what scholars call the African dilemma tale. So one example is uh, a young man, a young man, a child really, and his father are walking through the woods and they're attacked. And the father runs off and leaves the kid by himself. And then a rich man comes and finds the kid abandoned and says, hey, I'll take you home. Takes him home, raises him. They're walking back someplace and he sees his real father comes up and says, oh my God, where have you been? You know, I'm your father. You know, I'm so glad you're still alive. And the rich man says, you know what? He's your dad. Go with your dad. And then the rich man does a flip switch and goes, actually, here's a sword. Kill the one you don't want so you can stay with the one you do want. So you're being presented a dilemma. Which one is it? There's no right answer. There's no wrong answer. It's which, which way are you going? Um, so it presents you with a major decision, each with consequences, each with benefits. He kills the man that raises him, the rich man. He's being loyal to his biological father. He kills his biological father. He's being loyal to the person who raised him and has the, could inherit property, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, there's moral reasons to do either one there's reasons to be loyal to your biological father there's reasons to be loyal to this man who raised you so presenting the crossroads dilemma of would you sell your soul to a demon for x y and z is there a right answer is there a wrong answer especially when you're desperately poor especially when having a talent can take you and your family out of that kind of grinding poverty it's it's an idea um so and what is the right answer it depends what would the world be like without robert johnson's talent we wouldn't have half the rock and roll we have we certainly wouldn't have goth rock and roll that's for <laughs> sure um you know and what would his life have been if he hadn't been a bluesman would he have been a sharecropper for the rest of his life in god-awful mississippi that's another question um would he have lived to be an old man or would he still have been found at the side of the road at age 27? It's a dilemma. So the point of these tales is there's no way to know the outcome and there's no way to satisfy every moral imperative. So him meeting a demon at the crossroads to sell his soul, that is a common narrative within that folklore that says, hey, you know, what's the decision? What would you do? Um, and what I like about it is unlike the Aesop's fables, which kind of gives you, you have that nice button to it. Somebody was right at the end of the Aesop's fables. This, nobody's really right. You know, it's a moral dilemma. So I like stories that present moral dilemmas. The Crossroads also represent a boundary. You can very easily look at the song, The Crossroads by Bone Thugs and Harmony released in 1995 for a taste of this imagery. The video is so 1995 guys, and I'm not going to lie. I still cry when I watch it. So I rocked Bone out Thugs. to it this morning. It was on the radio. I, <laughs> love, I love that song. I, I love, love Bone, Bone Thugs, Thugs and Harmony so oh, much. They're so good. I love it. They're so, it's just, oh, love. I love them. But it represents a boundary between life and death, heaven and hell. It also represents a boundary between this world and the next and whether or not you should be crossing that boundary at all. Um, in the original tale of uh, Robert Johnson meeting the devil, 
um, in the tale, he hands the devil his guitar. The devil tunes it. He plays him a couple songs and says, here you go. And he says, if you take a few steps to Rosewood, you will be famous, but your soul will belong to me. So that boundary that you're crossing of, are you making this deal? Are you doing it? Should you be doing that? You know, is that some stuff you should be playing with at all? Um, when, where, why, and how you should cross that line or use those resources is a complex question within spirituality of all types of, um, you know, even I'm, I'm a bit on the witchy side, but even for Christians, there's that question of what's prayer being used for? What's, what is this faith being used for? That's a question. And that's what Robert Johnson's story, um, and you'll notice I'm not talking a lot about Robert Johnson, not because he's fat, he's not fascinating. He's absolutely fascinating, but he represents something, a much bigger story that I think is just absolutely awesome and really cool and doesn't get enough attention. So especially when you're dealing with a spirituality that has devils and demons and gods that are sentient and have their own motives, ulterior and others. So you have like in voodoo, uh, Papa Legby, um, who is his own person, who has his own agenda. Um, and when you look into a lot of the occult and a lot of different spiritualities, you will find that the entities that you deal with, whether it be the devil, whether it be certain named demons, whether it be gods and goddesses, whatever your selection may be, um, especially in West African cultures and voodoo and hoodoo and those kinds of things, those gods and those entities are their own people people in heavy air quotes they have their own motives they have their own reasons for doing things they have their own personalities um the universe itself has a personality and if you're not you know i've through doing you know ritual and stuff for myself if you're not super specific it will stab you straight in the butt and be like <laughs> i gave you what you asked for like really really you think you're cute mm -hmm. um so you have to you know that is something that in that culture that you deal with is if you tap into these things, what are you tapping into? Um, and I think that side, especially of African-American culture, especially in the South, um, we, we think of the church ladies going to church in their nice clothes and the preacher and all of that is a very, you know, very big part of that. But a lot of that was brought to the South in the, in the um, reconstruction phase by white northerners um so if you see churches called missionary baptist missionary baptists were baptists from the north coming down to convert freed slaves um a lot of these slaves had their own religion had their own practices that came with them and were passed down through the generations while they were being held in slavery um so a lot of christianity christianity in the black community is a form of colonization in and of itself. Um, so I'm obviously not the one to speak on this in its entirety, um, me being so white I can glow in the dark. But <laughs> I think it's an extremely interesting kind of take on it and something that I, I don't think a lot of people realize, especially, like I said, when, when they think about the black church, when they think about that culture is Black Christianity is a very recent thing, and it was its own form of colonization. So that being said, so him kind of tapping into those things with his music 
it was a little dangerous. You know, you can't be letting the white people know that you're over there doing rituals or, or having songs or, you know, so he was, he was living on the edge. He was, like I said, he was kind of the Alice Cooper of his day. And much like Alice Cooper, there were rumors. So again, the rumor of him selling his soul, that rumor came out after his death. Um, also, the rumor of his murder. So much like everything in his life, Robert's death was complicated. Rumors abound that he'd been poisoned with strychnine, but experts say even the strongest liquor, and he liked to drink, don't we all as yeah. <laughs> by me um he would have been able to taste strychnine strychnine's really gross it has a really strong smell so even if he was drinking like everclear he'd have been able to be like okay no this is not this is not cool there's also the possibility of a poison called and i'm gonna fuck this up <laughs> naphthaline 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 that's gonna be my drag <laughs> name um that's created from dissolving mothballs and was a common poison in the south but it wasn't generally fatal it generally just knocked you on your ass for a few days i guess if you just were really pissed at somebody just dissolve some mothballs in their gin and let them have a day but robert had a history of bleeding ulcers so that would have could have very likely made such a poison fatal who would want to poison him most likely somebody arguing with him over a woman. Where did we hear this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just tell you, um, you know, if, if um, early 90s hip hop taught us anything, baby, you shouldn't be down with OPP. I'm just saying. <laughs> Shit gets you murdered. So when his body was found, he was listed as an unidentified word that i'm not going to use it's the nicer version of the one you're thinking but i'm still not going to say it um i don't need that kind of karma in my life right now um so they didn't know they just found his body in a ditch on the side of the road and they just wrote down we found him he's dead we don't know um the official record of his death however they later amended to saying a plantation owner again we still had those had seen him come do a um play at a, a dance event for the local uh black population and that he thought he had syphilis which i think the plantation owner maybe needs to mind his business yeah um syphilis in black men in the south is its own thing look up tuskegee you've heard of it it's it's not great um he is buried in greenwood mississippi which is slightly larger than hazelhurst but still in the middle of buttfuck nowhere and is further north up in the state um the rumored crossroads that he did his soul selling at uh is rumored to be in clarksdale mississippi which also has a walmart super center So, what about this 27 Club? We've all heard of it. Amy Winehouse, Kurt Cobain, Hendrix. We've heard of the 27 Club. Well, there's no statistical research that backs up 27 being a cursed age. Musicians who die young tend to do so in their 20s and 30s from a number of factors that include socioeconomic and lifestyle choices. Um, And while I never like to call something a coincidence... Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Um, I remember being 27 and shit being kind of real. You're 
late enough in your 20s that you're kind of staring down the barrel of 30 and you know your late 20s is a weird period you're kind of expected to be settled down and you're the furthest thing from it uh for a lot of us so i could see that kind of being a pain point um especially if your lifestyle is you're an itinerant musician or you're having a drug problem or you're not keeping good company or you're having mental health struggles um, so yeah, I mean, I could see that kind of, and then your frontal lobe just closed two years ago. So your higher order thinking still isn't great. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's like when you're in your teens and you get that, oh shit, I'm going to die someday. You go through that in your twenties too. Like I'm getting old. Oh my God. And then now you're, I'm in my late thirties and I'm like, y'all shut up. Um, <laughs> But again, there's no statistical evidence, really, when you look at the, you know, like I said, we have these recent pop culture examples, but when you look at it with a broader lens, it's just, it's a coincidence. Um, So really, I would love to dive more into, um, and we'll have our sources, I had this really great Medium article about the crossroads in African-American folklore. Um, And I think that's really the important part about blues more so than other genres of music. And that's why it's kind of so upsetting that white artists kind of took off with it um, is because it was so much about the black experience. Um, If you look at the difference between, you know, uh, thematically at that point in history, we're talking the twenties and thirties music wise, um, especially from Southern artists. So a lot of white Southern artists talk about how much they missed home, how much they wanted to go home. Black Southern artists tend to talk about roaming and going new places. Um, Robert Johnson had a song called Sweet Home Chicago, uh, even though he was born in Mississippi and never really left Mississippi, but that longing to be somewhere else. And why would white Southern men really like being in the South? And why would black Southern men really want to leave it? I can't imagine why. Mm -hmm. Insert sarcasm here. Um, (laughs) But it's really interesting. And I think we're having these conversations more and more about Black creators being recognized for what they've done, Um, like with Blind Lemon and That's All Right, which is a Mm -hmm. famous song. Even if you don't like Elvis, you know that song. I mean, it's, it's been covered. It's been sampled. It's been included in a million different things. You know, it's like a banner of American culture. And so much of that American culture started with black people who never got that attention. So while the story of Robert Johnson is super interesting, he was a brilliant musician. He paved the way for blues, especially in the Delta. The His story leaches into so much more about black culture, especially in that post reconstruction, early 1900s era that is super, super fascinating um, and deserves a deeper dive. Um, I'm, I'll look up some sources that are, you know, can really kind of get into that. Um, but it's, it's a great, a great way to look at it. And I never pass up an opportunity to talk about demons. <laughs> Speaking of and demons, Tabby's snoring really loud. Is she really? Anna, yeah, she's snoring so loud, you guys. <laughs> I can't with her. I can't. You know, one of my favorite um, TikToks ever is one of yours where you're (laughs) 
preaching about something. I don't know what. And then Tammy's over the- there snoring. So loud. <laughs> okay, I have to tell the story. So I bought a bath bomb from Lush because I like bubble baths and I like Lush. And it was called Figs and Honey. And it was purple oh, yeah. and gold and it was beautiful. So put it in the bathtub. It's this pretty fuchsia color. There's gold glitter. I'm like, oh, oh God. This is fancy. <laughs> This is just fancy. Glitter. Oh, my God. So I get out of the bathtub, and I'm like, my legs are pink. I'm very pink. I need to take a shower. So when I shower, I scrub. Look, mama didn't raise nobody nasty. I be scrubbing. (laughs) Got out of the shower. My skin was a normal color. My toenails and my fingernails were still kind of stained fuchsia. I'm like, eh, eh, what are you going to do? It'll cycle out. So the next morning, I get up. I go potty. I'm cleaning myself up. My fingernails and toenails weren't the only thing stained pink. And that was an awkward surprise first thing in the morning. I was like, oh, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Like, (laughs) oh, what now? (laughs) So, and like I said, I scrub. I get everywhere, but... Apparently not. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> so I'm just saying, if you are going to be using a lush bath bomb, and you absolutely should because they're wonderful, just make you know, watch what color your stuff turns. Cause <laughs> that was awkward. I hadn't even had coffee, y'all. I just got up and I was like, I'm sorry. Why is this happening? <laughs> what happened? What? This was not like this when I went to bed. <laughs> so, and, yeah. And then you chose to tell that story to the world. And Tabby's like, excuse me, yes. I'm bored by this. So I made a TikTok because I thought I was funny. And my dog is like. Uh-huh. Through the whole like, thing. Like Darth Vader having an asthma <laughs> attack. And I'm like, why can't I be great? Why won't she let me be great? <laughs> oh, I love Tabby. I love her okay. too. Bless her heart. <laughs> she heard me talking about her. Now she won't lay next to me. She's on the other side of the couch. <laughs> She's like, bitch, I'll go snore over here. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, she could snore in the bedroom and I would hear it. My apartment is tiny. <laughs> All right. Now okay. who we got? Um, we have me yawning. It's been a long day. I'm sorry. Uh, all right. We're waking up. We are talking about a blues lady who run the world. Girls. So um, I'm everyone's backup singer. (laughs) Thank you. Um, you're the, you're the pip to my Gladys Knight. Um, (laughs) I have begged one of my best friends for him to go her halloween as gladys night and let me be a pip and he still won't let me do it anyway um <laughs> okay okay back to my blues lady all right so there are so many amazing female blues artists to cover um thankfully some of them have some movies out about them right now so i hope you're watching those and supporting black artists who are uh doing excellent acting work um shout out to those award nominees i'm very excited about those but the reason that i chose this lady is she has ties to memphis which i'm sort of based out of and she also is buried in 
what I call kind of my home cemetery, Elmwood Cemetery in Memphis, where I volunteer. And she has one of the best epitaphs I've ever read. And I'm saving that to the end. But Aww. it is, it's <laughs> artwork. You. It is artwork. <laughs> uh, so you've heard of Ma Rainey, but did you know that Memphis was home to Ma Rainey number two? I so, did not know that. <laughs> well, you know now. Blue, Bill Street blues fans knew Lily Mae Glover as Ma Rainey number two. She often emulated Ma Rainey, um, but we will get into all of that in a little bit. She had a couple of other nicknames too, but um, that's how a lot of people knew her. So um, I have seen a couple of different years for her birthday because of course, you know, record keeping back then but i'm going with what is on her monument so she was born in tennessee um just kind of around nashville on september 9th 1906 she loved music and she wanted to become a blues artist but her daddy stood in her way in a 1982 interview she said quote i wanted to sing the blues but my father was a pastor and the blues were looked on in those days as dirty music and for me to stay in Nashville would have been a disgrace to my family. End quote. So at the age of 13, she ran away with the circus. <laughs> I love, I love this. her. Yes. I love her so um, much. I mean, I don't know if this was technically a circus, 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 but it was a traveling show. The Tom Simpson traveling medicine show. So you would have a little bit of everything, of course, going on with these um, music. That's and how they used to and, sell snake oil back in the day. Yeah. I mean, you know, you would have doctors would invent patent medicines sure. and then they'd travel and it would be like a whole it was like the MLMs of back in yeah, the day kinda. of like yeah. they'd have entertainment and then here by my stuff that's yeah. basically heroin and vodka <laughs> <laughs> so she was initially hired to tell fortunes and cast spells for patrons um oh. like i said hoodoo is is very much a thing so she sort of um played off of that um so she grew up really touring with a bunch of traveling shows um and performing in different clubs she spent these years honing her skills as a comedian and a singer so she performed with traveling shows like um, the two most famous ones that I found were Rabbit Foot Minstrels and Harlem in Havana. Both of those sound amazing. Um, they also said she toured with the Bronze Mannequins and the Vamp and Baby Show. I couldn't find anything on those two, but I love those names. Bronze yeah. Mannequins and Vamp and Baby. That just yeah. sounds so cool. I love that vaudeville sort of, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know. So Lily May ends up making her home in Memphis in 1928. Uh, she performs around town at like the Peabody, the Manhattan Club, the Midnight Rambles, and some other venues. Once Ma Rainey passed away in 1939, she started using the name Ma Rainey number two because she did really kind of emulate her. And so she didn't want to, you know, use her name when she was living. So once she passed, she started using that name. Um, she did a few recordings at Sun Records in 1953, which, of course, the next year, that's where Elvis went to start his career. Um, but and, and there are some other recordings she made that were not made at Sun. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, she really made a name for herself, though, um, in a club called Blues Alley, um, which opened in the 70s in downtown Memphis um, and, and sort of 
a little bit before this, she was known as the mother of Bill Street because she performed at so many Bill Street clubs, but Bill Street was a little rough back then. Of course, now it's very touristy and they've cleaned it up yeah. a lot. Not entirely, but still as long off. as you're there before dark. Yeah, I mean, I would not stay any later than 10 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I have a Bill Street um, story. It didn't happen okay. to me, but it happened to my parents. So my <laughs> parents went to Beale Street for the 4th of July. My dad, um, this was right before I left to go to Loyola, 2002. It was right after I graduated high school. Um, so they went to Beale Street for the 4th of July. Great place to party. My dad at the time was working as a wholesaler um, for an auto, a, a chain of used car dealerships. So he would buy cars for the auto dealership. It was an interesting job. It's how I got my very first car. <laughs> um, helps to know somebody in the biz. Anyway, so he's got checks and shit in his car, his truck, I'm sorry. They drove to Beale Street. They tie one on because they were about to have an empty nest. I was about to be out the house. I get a phone call. I'm waiting. I am like the nervous nilly up. Like, why aren't they home yet? It's past midnight. Where are these parents of mine? I get a call. <laughs> we got uh, robbed. I was like, I'm sorry, what? So they broke into my dad's truck. They stole the briefcase that was full of checks to buy cars with. They got into my mother's purse because you don't take your purse with you on Beale Street. You will get that thing stolen. They emptied out her change purse like every single nasty quarter my mother has had in that change purse since i was five <laughs> including two medals that i won at uh from school at our like honors banquet she had had i think she had them in her coin book because she was gonna like frame them or something they stole those so i'm like <laughs> somewhere someone in memphis has a medal from a little high school in arkansas letting them know i had perfect scores in math that year <laughs> perfect <laughs> scores but um so yeah stole just everything that wasn't tied down in that car that looked like it might left my mom's coin purse i want you to know left the coin purse emptied that motherfucker out even <laughs> took the change out of the ashtray wow. i don't even think cars have ashtrays anymore but kids mm -hmm. they used to and your dad would generally put his change in there Mm -hmm. emptied out the ashtray so beale street don't fuck around and find out <laughs> you know my only beale street story that's mildly interesting um was gosh 2007 maybe six no seven no six it was not long after we graduated college i was working as a reporter and american idol came to do um to find singers in memphis and so i went for like all the various rounds because they have the round before you even meet the like the first round's producers the second round is the actual judges blah 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 and i was there for just the producers and it was this insane um you had to be at the fedex forum at like i think <laughs> the press call was like 5 30 gwen is is doing some yoga over there <laughs> sorry <laughs> I love it. Zoom videos. Yes. Y'all missed that. That was yes. great. Um, 
like press it's had to be there at like um, and i'm not in bed so that's why she's currently supervising yeah. me well gwen we will be over in a minute i'm telling a story <laughs> gee whiz look at how mad um, she is she's so mad <laughs> she's pissed <laughs> so we had to be at fedex form at like 5 30 that morning that was like the press call and of course there's already like a zillion people lined up because this is just the cattle call day mm-hmm. and i got there earlier and my mother went with me because why not um and <laughs> we were coming up to bill street at like 4 35 something like that oh. and some club was wrapped up where <laughs> they were basically coming off the end of the night some club was wrapped up with all kinds of cops because there had been a shooting or a stabbing or something major happening and i'm like well we arrived at the right time they're yes. starting to go you know the, the criminals are starting to go home <laughs> and they that was just the wildest the wildest longest out. day god that was such a long day didn't your daddy get a me. van full of christmas presents stolen our on christmas Beale? present not on bill but in memphis um he was staying because my dad used to be a traveling salesman and he was he had his van he was traveling in memphis for work he had his van loaded down with our christmas presents i had a shirt from nickelodeon because i love nickelodeon he had my mama a 49ers jacket because she loved the san francisco 49ers at the time she changes her allegiance every couple of years but she was super <laughs> into joe montana joe montana <laughs> was her. her dude and then she uh, and then she he had my cousin a some kind of cd player which was like a big deal because cd players were just becoming a thing um can y'all imagine so many years ago <laughs> and we so the whole van got stolen they found it on macklemore um in not a great part of town no and everything was stolen but the van was still there but everything was stolen <laughs> and we kept say our joke within the family was okay look for a guy wearing a nickelodeon t-shirt a 49ers jacket carrying a cd player <laughs> like, that's who did it so yeah all of our christmas presents got stolen that year so <laughs> crazy that's that is uh the sanest and least dangerous thing that's ever happened on bill street i'm kidding <laughs> i'm kidding we um don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway so yeah so she was um she was playing in a lot of clubs in and around um bill street but there was a moment where they sort of shut a lot of stuff down and um tried to clean it up basically and that's when she went over to blues alley and performed there and then bill street really in like the 80s started opening up more as a touristy area and that's where like i mean i was noticing today like because i was driving downtown and i looked and like rum boogies said it opened in like 85 so like that's when you started getting the more touristy stuff which i'm not knocking it it's great i'm no you yeah know, it's fun it's fun to get out through there and it's not that bad i mean you just have to know how to be in a city anyway yeah um her quote about being the mother of bill street um, and this is from that same 1982 interview. I could never find the full thing. I just found snippets of it here and there. She said, I was the mother of Bill Street. I ruled that street between 4th and Hernando. I sang at the Chicago house. And on Mondays, we would have Blue Mondays where the boys would boil. I don't know what that means. I hope it means like a shrimp bowl or a crawfish bowl, but maybe not. Um, anyway, but people loved her because, um, especially at Blue's Alley, because she she was sexy she was a sexy sexy lady um she she ran so cardi and megan could crawl um 
she had some lusty songs and some risque banter. She was funny, feisty. Um, her quote about that is, I guess I'll be singing the blues for a long time. I'm too young to change now. I still want to be that naughty girl for a while longer. And I mean, <laughs> she's saying this in her like 70s. Wow. Good for her. Yeah. Good for her. So um, there's a song that she has on Spotify, which I'm going to link to her. There's two separate Spotify accounts that I'll link to. Um, she has a song called Shake It Daddy which is just as filthy as you think it is. It's the lyrics technically are pretty clean, but listen, she has a moan or two in there that I'm like, that is pure sex. It is. I so love sexy. dirty blues women. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's clean yet the, let me tell you, there's one or two moans. Those just slay me. I was like, it's hot in here, ma'am. It was, <laughs> she does a great job. So she received uh, the Bill Street Music Festival Award in 1977. She was inducted into the Hall of, Hall of Fame of Music and Entertainment in Chicago in 81. She also received Tennessee's Outstanding Achievement Award in 79. And she died on March 27th, which is when we're recording this tomorrow. Tomorrow oh, is wow. her oh. anniversary of her death. I'll be there. Um, yeah, in 1985 in Iuka, Mississippi, which is not that far from Memphis. It's um, in North Mississippi. Um, it also probably has a Walmart Supercenter. It probably does. <laughs> that, that's probably the only thing in Iuka. Trust me. Yeah. I think they used to have a drive-in. That's the only other thing. I went up there one time to cover their drive-in. Lord, the stories I have. God. Um, but yeah, she, I don't think she had a lot of family left. I think she had married a couple of, like, I know Glover is her ma married name. I don't know that she had any kids. I never found anything like that. Um, but anyway, her funeral took place in W.C. Handy Park, which is in the heart of Bill Street. Her funeral procession featured a horse-drawn carriage carrying her casket. And of course, it went from Bill Street to Elmwood, where she's buried. And she's buried not far from political boss E.H. Crump, who was a wildly corrupt mayor in Memphis for years. Um, that is a whole nother story for a whole yeah. nother time. Um, <laughs> oh, yes. We could talk for episodes about that man and, and everyone he's tied to. Initially, I found um, stories about her death and they said her epitaph was going to read, I don't care what, because these were song lyrics. A lot <laughs> of people wrote about boss crump back then there are a ton of songs about boss crump the epitaph was supposed to originally read the song lyrics i don't care what mr crump don't allow i'm gonna barrel house anyhow good um, for her <laughs> but instead it's even better it's <laughs> even better i think her epitaph reads i'm ma rainy number two mother of bill street i'm 78 years old ain't never had enough of nothing and it's too damn late now <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love it. it. <laughs> um, and it's pretty easy to find her grave at Elmwood. She's not far from the entrance at all. And you can find her music on Spotify under the names May Glover and Big Memphis Ma Rainey. Okay. Um, I did a side goog about Blue yeah. Monday and boiling. That's laundry day. Hmm. So okay. they would boil the laundry. Gotcha. Cool. Good to know. Um, I, I will mention this really quickly, um, and then I want to read one more quote from her. But um, 
I just took a class on gender and identity and music. And we talked about how for blues musicians who were women who identified as women, that really was a major deal for them because for the first time ever, they were able to define themselves and present themselves the way they always wanted to be presented. They were not, they were no longer being portrayed as a mother figure, an enslaved woman. Uh, you know what I mean? Like they were owning themselves. They were owning themselves and they were dressing the way they wanted to dress. And there is a fabulous, if you go back and look at photos of blues artists, blues women um, from this kind of same time period, you'll notice so many of them are dressed beautifully. They're wearing these beautiful silks and furs and pearls and all this. And um, so they really wanted to show off like how beautiful and glamorous they are. I mean, and rich, these photos are beautiful. That yes. stuff costs money. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. And there's a beautiful photo of Miss Lily May Glover that we're going to include and a fun side note that photo that we're going to include was taken by Ernest Withers, who deserves his own episode. We may cover him later. He yeah. was a civil rights photographer here in Memphis. He took all of the famous I'm a man photos from the 60s, which I know oh, you've awesome. seen. Yeah. He is also buried at Elmwood. He is also not far from Lily May. His tombstone is a giant camera. And it says wow. like a picture's worth a thousand words or something like that. Like it is it. so cool. Yeah. I love his grave. So anyway, so those are, that's another awesome person. Well, false crump was not awesome, but this is <laughs> Ernest Withers yeah. is an awesome person yeah. who deserves well, um, his own episode for sure. Yeah. And I think that's a good, because of the, the, you know, the scuttlebutt lately has been the Grammys performance with Meg the Stallion and, and, Cardi. and Cardi B, which I mean, I want to watch them scissor on TV. I don't <laughs> Same. I love um but it's no wrong it's that conversation about specifically black women's sexuality mm -hmm. and yes. how very much uncomfortable we are with it um white male singers have been singing about women's bodies black male singers have been singing about women's bodies yeah but we aren't comfortable with black women singing about black women's bodies right and <clears throat> having the same swagger and having the same audacity that male performers have and that's mm -hmm. i mean you know and it happens to white women artists too madonna caught a ton of right. flack for being as openly sexual as she was yep. um like a prayer is still the greatest music video ever yeah. filmed in the history of man I love it and i will die on that hill um <laughs> Did not know what was going on when I watched it as a young. <laughs> I didn't either. No, I was very confused. I just got, thought she looked pretty as I a brunette. Was like, <laughs> I was like, "Oh, this is nice." And then I, and well, and two because I grew up like I said, late eighties, early nineties. I didn't see a lot of brunette pop stars, so I was like, "I didn't oh, either." Look at yes, there, she's I, it, it was a big deal. Yeah, it was and a then big deal I got me. older and listened to the song and watched the video and was like, "Oh, girl, <laughs> I then, but." Even that song is still about the man's pleasure. Yeah. And this is talking about, you know, a mm -hmm. woman's wet ass, you know what? And good for her. <laughs> yeah. Good, good for, for her. her. And and like I said, um, Lily Mae Glover's song, Shake It Daddy, is she's telling him what she wants. And I'm like, I'm here right. for it. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. So um <clears throat> 
So there's this quote from, from her, and this is going to be the last thing I share. Um, it's just so lovely. So I want to share it. Um, she was there in 82. Um, of course, this is just a couple of years before she passes away, but she, as her health declined, obviously it was harder for her to get up there and sing every night. And there were a couple of stories I read where that said like someone had to help her on stage, stuff like that, right. but she was still, she loved to perform. I mean, that was what she knew her whole life. And she said, some nights I feel so bad when I get there, I fall asleep on the bandstand waiting my turn to sing, but those people there lift me up. They come from, they come up and talk to me and kiss me and tell me they came from hither and yonder to hear me sing. It's a wonderful thing to love and be loved. Oh, I, I, like, I like that. Good for her. Uh, she seems like a really cool lady. I wish I could have seen her. I hate that she passed when I was a baby. Uh, right. But yeah. That's so amazing. I, she lived into the 80s. That's she did. Yeah. And amazing. so um, and like I said, her she lived to be 76, 78, depends on what um record you're reading. I I'm going by what is on her epitaph and what's on her grave. But um, she just seems like a really cool lady. And I highly suggest you look up her music because it's I've enjoyed so much of it. She is just a dream. So yeah. Yay. Heck yeah. Well, and that's the great thing about blues is that it did touch on sexuality. It touched on like with Robert Johnson, the occult. And that's what rock and roll started from. And that's what rock and roll's legacy has kind of been of, you know, sex, drugs and rock and roll. Mm -hmm. yep. um, and so seeing that from the very beginnings, you know, it was about Tabby Huff. Was that Gwen? Uh, oh, Tabby. That was Tabitha. <laughs> Look, mommy's Mine. up past her bedtime, and they're all yeah. big old brats about it. No, you we're, got we're off the couch. We're about to shush. Yes. You. Five more minutes. Come on now. <laughs> you jumped off the couch. I'm not getting up to let you back up. <laughs> it's not like I run my house or anything. <laughs> no. Um, but that kind of, you know, they paved the way for that kind of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know, I mean, that, yeah. that came from them. Um, and can I just say too, she has another great song that I really enjoyed um, called um, Pig Meat Mama. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. yes, ma'am. Yes. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> she, she's got some good ones, I'll tell you. So Awesome. Awesome. So I think our next topic, ladies, we are going to talk about journalists yes going back to our roots a little yes yes so that is going to be awesome so stay tuned for that in the meantime i will also have a suspicious <clears throat> death there too <laughs> are we surprised yes, no you really? shouldn't be at this point no. <laughs> um so yeah so in the meantime please look up each of the artists that we talked about tonight yes and give them some of your time and your thoughts and consideration and um Lori, and tell us yes if you'd like to, to find if, us. You, if you would consider following us on social media you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter at cemetery row pod or you can send us an email to cemetery row pod at gmail.com um we got an email i i guess it was last week after we did the um the animal war heroes uh 
from a listener who sent us information about the war horse Comanche, who was the oh, survi- oh, cool. the the sole survivor of Little Bighorn. So that was oh, wow. that was another interesting one. Um, yeah. Hey, so yeah, we we should do a part two then and include their story. <laughs> oh yeah, that's awesome. I could talk yes. about I could talk about that all day. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I just got to find another goat that got court-martialed because <laughs> I'm sorry. That's yeah. that's my favorite thing to tell people is, hey, do you know this goat got court-martialed? Yes. Yep. It just yep. makes my life. And I loved how Simon and his photo looked ready to fight. And I'm like, that's my yeah. boy. Yeah. He was yeah. like, what? Simon looked awesome. Those monuments of Reckless were beautiful. They're gorgeous. They were, they oh, were yes. gorgeous. Yeah. Well, so all right, yeah, ladies. Um, send us a review too y'all mm-hmm. don't forget to yes to rate and subscribe right Share star us with your people yes and if you have ideas if you have a hometown grave um a friend of mine through facebook sent me one that was essentially a spite grave which i was like yes <laughs> i have a spite grave i can talk about yes, yes. let's it, do it as a very petty person it spoke to me on on a deep spiritual level so <laughs> So yeah, ideas you have, cool gravestones in your town, cool stories from your town, haunted things. Let us know. We're into yeah, it. Yep. Send it our way. All right, ladies. All right. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Bye.